probably would have some sort of recovery coming back from Peru. Um, I asked Jim to preach this morning. Um, Jim's a great preacher, and I, I thoroughly enjoy it when he ministers, and, and thank God I did because I needed a couple days to recover. So, uh, Jim, come up. Thank you. Pastor Steve invites uh, the leadership team to uh, share the word as well. Um, I don't take this lightly. So, uh, but we're going to look at a hard parable. But I want to start with sort of a funny story. You, this is one of those stories that's either going to the punchline's either going to go straight over your head or not. But you know, one day uh, this uppity lady, older lady, is walking through the park, and there's this gentleman set up, and he's a photographer, and he's taking pictures and selling them, you know, to people to come along. It's probably before the day of selfies and all. And, uh, yeah, there used to be these professional picture takers. And uh, so she comes along and she asks him, you know, poses for a picture, pays him and waits, and that thing finally develops. You know, it's probably the old Polaroid or something. I don't know. And she looks at that she says, Oh! You, sir, have done me no justice. He says, Madam, you don't need justice. What you need is mercy. I heard that story and I couldn't help think that I don't need justice. I need mercy. Amen. And today we're going to uh, look at the parable of the unmerciful servant and as people who have received the mercy of God we are also called by God not just to show mercy but to actually be merciful I just point these things out Jesus doesn't just call us to live things outwardly he calls us to be those things inwardly and let them then flow outwardly and mercy is one of those things so first, uh, a little backdrop in the context. He is teaching his disciples what I call kingdom culture. Um, a few weeks ago, Pastor Steve uh, taught the parable of the sheep and the goats, and he brought out that he, that is pointing more towards eternity and judgment day. But the parable of the unmerciful servant is, is speaking to us right here, right now. And uh, I just want to kind of go through a little of the background, because Jesus is teaching his disciples, Jesus introduced an absolutely radical counterculture. The true counterculture in this world should be the church of Jesus Christ. And so he's teaching his disciples, and I, I just want to read the lead up here, um, starting in Matthew 18, verses 15. He says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to even hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth or stop or judge on the earth will be bound and whatever you loose or allow on earth will be loosed in heaven again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask it will be done for them by my father in heaven for where two or three are gathered together in my name I am there in the midst of them that's a familiar scripture so he's teaching relationships and of course we being human beings want to know the parameters. We, we love knowing exact numbers, exact parameters. We just feel comfortable in those boundaries, don't we? So Peter, of course, opens his mouth. You can always count on Peter. He asks in verse 21, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often sh if, uh, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Notice he's looking, you know, come on now, Peter, Peter's all of us. I'm just waiting for that eighth one, baby. I don't have to let that one go. 
And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, before you go carrying a counter in your pocket where you can press buttons, one, two, and keep count, he's using the, uh, what, what I call hyperbole. You know what that is? It's an extreme statement to make a point. And so Jesus launches into this parable to follow this up. And so let's read the parable through together. And then we'll dive into it. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That is, uh, a talent is not something you, you do, you know, song and dance. Hey, talented singer. A talent here is a weight. It's a weight of gold. And 10,000 talents is a ridiculous quantity of wealth. Okay? Just so you understand how to read that. Um, verse 25. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. This was common in that culture. Don't go freaking out here. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Notice, same words, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw that he had, what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master what he had done. Then the master, after he had called him, said, You wicked servant, I forgave you and all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you, from his heart, does not forgive, or forgive his brother for his trespasses. This is not an easy parable. So let's think about the indebted servant. This 23 through 25, we have a powerful illustration of our condition before God outside of the grace that is in Jesus Christ. This man's indebted position, you know, can we see the king as God himself? His servants being us as human beings, and this man is indebted in an obscene way. He's indebted like our government, okay? It's not going to happen. And it's not uncommon in scripture to, uh, as, a, as a way of getting people to understand that, that, that sense of guilt and obligation to equivocate debt and sin as something comparable. I'm not saying that if, if you're in debt here, you're lost and hopeless. I'm saying that it's used as a, as a means of conveying a concept. In case we're wondering, anybody here tell me that you're not a sinner? Good. I had somebody try to tell me that once. Poor guy, I laughed and laughed and laughed. He got really mad at me. I never sinned, you know, just started cracking up. He was not happy with me, but I did share the gospel with him. I said, you just did. <laughs> Romans 3.23, very familiar. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And for the Jewish hearer at the time, the portrayal of sin in terms of debt was not unusual. Think about the Lord's Prayer as Jesus taught it in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, he says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I did a little research, and I found, you know, we all know, I, I, we, you guys probably get tired of hearing this from me, the Bible was not written in English, it certainly was not originally written in King James. It's written in the Greek language, and sometimes the English translators would take the same Greek word and translate it, to say one English word here and a different English word there. And many times in the New Testament, the same original Greek word is translated sinner or it is translated debtor. 
The same original word for debtor uh, that we just read is translated in Luke 13, 4 as sinner. And according to Thayer's Bible Dictionary, a debtor here in Matthew 6, 12 is one who has yet to make amends to one whom he is injured. Now there's a new concept, isn't it? Nowadays, you know, we want to offer some lame apology and all done, all better. An old church practice called the making of amends where if the relationship is broken, you not only try to apologize, but you say, what can I do to help make this right? What can I do to heal this which has been ripped and torn? And this thinking about sin in terms of debt grew out of the Old Testament principle of restitution. Listen to Exodus 22, verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for the ox and four sheep for a sheep. You didn't just pay back what you took, you gave extra. If you stole that oxen because you didn't have any, and now you're supposed to pay back what? Five? guess what? You're in debt. Amen. You follow that principle? Exodus 22.9. For any kind of trespass, whether it concerns an ox, a donkey, a sheep, or clothing, or for any kind of lost thing which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whomever the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. So there was a debt. This is where we get our concept now of someone dealing in the criminal justice system. Uh, we all, you know, all of us have heard the phrase, he's paying his debt to society. And this is kind of where this goes. So as we consider this in the context of understanding sin, both towards God himself and towards our fellow man, it's the idea of having a moral obligation towards that person or society in general or God himself. And in verses 24 and 26, Jesus is using hyperbole again. This is worth literally like a billion dollars, these 10,000 talents. I mean, I can look it up, but the whole point is it's way more money than this guy will ever assemble. And the reality is that this man's position before his king is a perfect illustration of our condition before God without faith in Jesus. We're all like this indebted servant. If you think one day the scales of justice are going to come out and you know whether or not you gain entrance into heaven is, is whether your, your good deeds weighed the same or outweighed your bad deeds, I got news for you, the scales are not going to fall in your favor. Especially, you think about Jesus. He drilled right down. He said, you've heard, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks upon a, whatever man looks upon a woman lustfully has committed adultery already in his heart. So if not in your actions, what about your thoughts? What about your intentions? What about your heart? The scales are not going to rock in your favor. I've got good news. Our God is merciful. Amen. Verse 27 is just a beautiful picture of what happens, what God does when we get saved. It says, Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Hallelujah. Amen. Now here, think about this. We're going to think in terms of sin and debt. How many of you know what Jesus' last statement? Who can tell me? What was Jesus' last statement on the cross? Huh? That was one of them, but not the last one. Last one before the last breath. Anybody? Come on. Yep. It is finished. They gave him the sour wine, which was a fulfillment of a prophecy in Psalms. And he lifted his voice, and, uh, you know, whether or not he even had a voice, we don't know, but he gasped out audibly enough for people to hear, crying, it finished. He breathed his last. John 19, 30. 
so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. When he says it is finished, he was speaking prophetically. All prophecy had been fulfilled. All scripture had been fulfilled. But this was also a phrase, listen to me, that was used when a debt was paid in full and released legally. It was the same phrase used. It is finished. It's paid. It's sealed. It's there would be a record in the gate of the city. There, it would come before the judges or whatever, and that, that it would be officially declared this debt is paid. It is finished. How do you know the good feeling of getting a vehicle paid off? Hallelujah. And you get a notice from the bank, right, that you, you, it's paid. But the best part is then they mail you the title to that vehicle. And the debt is paid, and you hold the title deed. Beloved, that's us in Christ Jesus. The debt is paid through the cross of Calvary, and we hold the title deed now to the very promises of God, not because of anything we've done, but because all of what Jesus did. And as this man, in verse 27, throws himself on the mercy of the king, all we can do is throw ourselves on God's mercy. And we see a beautiful picture of the heart of God. We see God moved with compassion. We see the sin forgiven, and we see this man released from bondage and set free. Hallelujah. Not because of anything he did, but asked for mercy. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 in the New International Version says he saved us not because of righteous things we had done but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit not because of righteous things that we've done but because of his mercy demonstrated in the incarnation and person of Jesus the Christ in the flesh, fulfilling prophecy, fulfilling the law. Listen, he did not just die as your substitute, he lived as your substitute. He kept the full law of his father where no human being could possibly do it. And we throw ourselves on the mercy of God because of the life that Jesus lived and because of the death that he died and because of the power of his resurrection to bring us new life. Hallelujah. And our God is merciful. Mercy is something that he is. Listen to Micah 7.18. This is a play on the name Micah. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. All you know is the difference between pardon and probation. I got good news for you, church. Our God does not work on probation. He works in terms of pardon. Pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever. Why? Because he delights in mercy. It's not that just, you know, God kind of... You know, like we do, kind of, okay. He loves showing mercy. He delights in it. It's a joy to the Lord to bestow mercy on those that ask for it. Why is this? Because mercy is a part of who God is. It's what we call a divine attribute. It is a vital and active part of his being. Mercy is not just something God possesses. It's not just something God bestows. It is a vital and active part of his being rooted into his love, which is the very center of his being. God himself declared himself merciful to Moses when he hit him in the cleft of the rock and God passes by in his glory. Listen to Exodus 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful. First thing he names, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Our God is merciful. 
don't know if many of you are familiar with A.W. Tozer. He's one of my favorite Christian authors. And uh, I, I tell you what, if you want to understand the person and nature of God, there's a great little book that he wrote called The Knowledge of the Holy. And it works through the attributes of God. And he writes in that book of God's mercy, he says, mercy is an attribute of God, an infinite and inexhaustible energy within the divine nature which disposes God to be actively compassionate. As judgment is God's moral inequity, so mercy is the goodness of God confronting human suffering and guilt. I love that. The mercy of God is an infinite and inexhaustible energy within the divine nature. You can't exhaust complete God's mercy. You know, we got this idea that when we draw on the Lord through prayer, that somehow it's like a bank account. And the, you know, that, that account is now diminished because we made a withdrawal out of it. It's impossible to do that with God. Everything that He is, He is in infinitely because he himself is infinite. And so his mercy is infinite. So let's think about the call to be merciful because this is where we're really going. As I said earlier, this is a here and now parable. Jesus is teaching his disciples and then us by proxy, I guess, of what kind of culture he calls us to have and how we relate to one another. disciples and followers of Jesus, there's supposed to be a whole different culture that we live among ourselves and even in how we interact and engage in the broader world. If you want to know how not to behave, let's look again at the absolutely despicable behavior of this, this wicked servant. He walks out from having this amazing debt forgiven and it says here, but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now that's a real debt. We're going to look at that in a minute. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience on me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Don't you get mad just reading that? Jesus used this on purpose. But unfortunately, sometimes this can be the culture of the church and Christians in general. Amen. You know, the fact is, sometimes church, Christians, I'm sorry, sometimes we can be the meanest people on the Let me just throw it out there, too. Where politics get attached, I can't even believe some of the stuff I've been seeing here from people who name the name of Jesus. I'm just going to let this sit. This is a convicting parable. We can be mean, cruel, and unmerciful towards the unsaved world that we're called to reach. And we can be totally unmerciful towards each other. I can tell you, Jesus wants his church to have a culture of love, mercy, and redemption. Love, mercy, redemption. Now as we look at this interaction here, the debt is real, 100 denarii. As far as I could look up was about a half a year's wages. So there's some form of wrongdoing between these two fellow servants. There really was a, a, a remember how we talked earlier, there really was a debt. There had been some form of wrongdoing committed. And you know, this is also a fact in the church. But you look around, listen. Every one of us here walked in the door this morning with problems. This is a hospital ward. 
This is not the place to come parade around with your own self-righteousness. We don't want to be that kind of church, I promise you. Because every one of us walked in here with deep flaws, deep problems, dealing with our past, carrying things that are hard to carry, struggling with things that nobody else here knows about. And then that can play out in us mistreating each other some. It's going to happen. Church hurt, church hurt. Well, yeah, we're hurt people, and sometimes we even unintentionally hurt people. You know, if you're waiting for a, a, a church where anything wrong or something you don't like, you just keep looking, because we're going to do something wrong, and we're going to do something you don't like. Sorry. I'm not making excuses. Well, we're all human beings sitting here. And really, Jesus laid out the whole process in Matthew 18 that we read before. You know, what would, what kind of, what would the church be like if we took that one verse of Scripture and actually practiced it? That if your brother or your sister, if someone around you has mistreated you or done something that's hurt you, he said, go to that brother between you and him alone. These are written, words written in red. Don't go making comments on Facebook. Don't go running straight to the pastor. Don't go running straight to your brothers and sisters. You try to keep that private. And Jesus said that if your brother or your sister receives what you've said, you've won them. You know what's important? maintaining the relationship. You know what's more important than your or my being right? Most of the time, it's maintaining the relationship and loving each other. It would be a whole different ballgame if we would just do what Jesus laid out right here. And when someone does mess up, you know, what we do see, you know, there's the other thing. You know, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 11 of the goodness and severity of God, didn't he? You know, no one wants to see the severe side of God, but there is a place and a time, as Jesus laid out here in Matthew 18, for church discipline. There is a place to bring in, he said, two or three witnesses that every word might be established. And maybe they can work as mediators to try to bring these two parties together. And if the person who has sinned remains defiantly unrepentant, he said, then you bring that before a formal gathering with the church leadership. And if he still remains defiantly unrepentant, there is a time to ask them to please leave the community until you're ready to come among us and, and, and make this right. There's a place for that. Jesus laid it out. But beloved, that should break our hearts. God help the pastor that's like, yeah, I threw him out. Galatians 6.1 tells us how church discipline and, and correction should be carried out. He says, brethren... If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. The goal is to restore. The method is to be gentle. I read this and as I read it you know something stood out where that guy took his brother by the throat and begins to choke him and says you owe me the Holy Spirit you know take this for what it's worth but I believe the Holy Spirit prompted me and said this is also a perfect illustration of the spirit of legalism where there is a perceived debt because guess what not not all of us have the same convictions uh oh 
Now let me just bring out, some things in the gospel are non-negotiable, aren't they? The incarnation of Christ, the Trinity, salvation by grace. I could go on and on. There's certain things that are absolutely non-negotiable. They are the gospel of Jesus Christ, period, end of statement, and they cannot be lightened, they cannot be compromised, they cannot be changed. But then there are a lot of things that just boil down to differing convictions and differing cultures. There's some things that you may perceive as wrongdoing based on your church background, your upbringing, your culture, that happen in another culture or another person, another believer carries out, and it's just really just different convictions. And when it comes to these matters, we're called to love and tolerate one another rather than attack and devour each other. people attack and devour each other over how they dress in church. Whether or not a beard should be worn by Christian men. Whether or not you should have a television. Whether or not you go to movies. I mean, people go into war with each other over things that are really not clearly addressed in, in our Bible, beloved. Paul dedicated all of Romans chapter 14 and a good chunk of chapter 15 basically telling them you've got to tolerate differing convictions here there's other portions as well there's certain things you've just got to leave up to God and that individual he says because we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you're going to have to answer for yourself you know I got enough in myself that I need to police I don't need to go policing everybody else. And you know, I was part of a, 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 of a, a denomination, or whatever you were. We lived this out. It was terrible. It got just plain mean. I hate to say it. It breaks my heart. And when I really began to realize and, and clear my head of some things and recognize, you know what? It's not my job to police everybody else. I don't need to care, really, about certain things. I got my own problems. Am I really, you know, this is the whole thing of Jesus talking about pointing out the speck in your brother's eye. Well, you got a beam sticking out of your own eye. And, uh, what a great, I got a cartoon brain. That is just the best use of hyperbole. This beam, you know. Let's deal with the beam sticking out of our own eye before we start pointing out specks in everybody else's. Can you say amen? Ephesians chapter 4, 2 and 3 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The goal is unity. Not at compromising those things that are not compromisable. But the problem is, a lot of us take convictions and we internalize them so deeply that we think they're non-negotiable when really they're just cultural. And as we have received great mercy out of sheer gratitude and love, we ought to be merciful ourselves. And it's getting more and more, church, nothing's going to stand out in our world like kindness say, well, you're asking a hard thing, Jim. Well, you know, do we believe that when we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to live inside of us? Right? I like to believe I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I try to be anyway. <laughs> There's times <laughs> he's probably going, I don't know about this guy. We have seen mercy as an attribute of God, that mercy is part of God's very being. Not just something he practices. And so this means that as the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, divine mercy should begin to permeate and assimilate through our very person. 
that 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 attribute of mercy should begin to be internalized in who we are because Christ lives in us see it's possible to practice mercy and be a boiling seething pot of resentment on the inside that's not helping Chapter 5, verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And when we, like this wicked servant, refuse to be merciful, because I've met people, they just refuse. Like, no. And let me point out, let me point out something before we go on. I was going to point it out later. I'll, I'll, I'll point it out now. I'm not saying that someone who commits a crime should not be subject to the criminal justice system. I'm not saying that some of you have been hurt or wounded to a place where you need to get distance between yourself and that other individual. Because I, I want to go on record here and recognize real and deep hurt, abuse, trauma, many different things. I want to go on record. I'm not trying to stomp all over your heart. I'm trying to lead you to a means of healing your heart. Think about it. Think immediately following, uh, or think about verses 34 and 35 right here. Let me read them again. Matthew 18, 34 and 35. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father will also do to each of you, or do to you, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother. Trespass. He was there from his heart. We can look at each other and say, no, I'm cool. We're not cool. We're not okay. Right after the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, for if you, in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. God is who He is. This is hard to hear, reading these passages. But this is Jesus' declaration of his Father and himself, not mine. So rather than try to interpret this for you, can we put uh, Matthew 18, 35 back up on the slide, please? I'm trying to interpret this for you. I'm going to step back. I want to encourage you. Holy Spirit speak to you for a minute. I'm going to take a seat. think about this. You know, the question is, who are you still holding in your debt? Who still owes you? Where are you still looking for payback? The most unfortunate part of this parable is 
that unmerciful servant threw the one debtor into prison. We never see that debtor released from prison. And then he himself gets thrown into a debtor's prison, which was common. And in a debtor's prison, they operated by the assumption that that person had money that they were hiding or access to loans that they were not accessing, and they would torture them. And they would imprison their family until they figured something out. And so this unmerciful servant, listen to me, became both tormented and tormentor by demanding that his fellow servants stay in prison. He became both tormented and tormented. You see, we like to think that we can compartmentalize things in our personality. That I can harbor hatred and unforgiveness and bitterness towards this individual, and I can put that in a compartment over here and be nice and be merciful to everybody else. I've found in my own experience we're not wired that way. It's all connected, church. So what happens when you refuse to forgive that individual? You know what happens? First of all, you hold them. And listen to me, sometimes that refusal to show mercy is, is really terms of control and manipulation of your own. I can keep reminding this person if I forgive them, now I can't keep reminding them and controlling them with what they did in the past. But what happens is you go from being unforgiving towards one individual towards becoming an unforgiving person. You become unmerciful. Mean. Bitter. before, for those of you that who have been horribly violated, wrong, my heart goes out to you. God's not calling you to just be okay with whatever they did. Like I said, some people need to face the criminal justice system. Some people are best staying away. You can still forgive them in your heart. I'm not saying that the pain just goes away. You might carry that pain the rest of your life. You know, that phrase, time heals all wounds, is one of the biggest lies. And I can tell you that God can help you to personally forgive that person or those people in your heart, even if you never see them again. inside of you, you can invite him, Lord, you're going to have to let your mercy enter into this situation, because I haven't got any. You're going to have to love this person in my heart, because I don't love them at all. Philippians 2.13, I love this passage, I go back to it again and again and again. When I'm up against something that I am personally incapable of doing, such as forgiving something that, you know, being merciful, God knows. Church, I grew up in New Jersey and graduated to Massachusetts. I've got a PhD in, in being unmerciful. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you. You hear that, church? God's working in you. 
actively, energetically at work in your heart and in your being. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. As Brother Gene Sorbos has pointed out to me that coming from um, Song Time Radio. Moses prayer again, Gene? Repeat it for us. Lord, make me willing to be willing. Sometimes, you know, we're like, I don't want to. No, mm-mm, not, no. Well, you can't just will yourself. I'm going to be willing. I'm going to be willing. You know, it's not always the little train that could going up that hill. This is where you invite the Holy Spirit to give you willingness and then to operate within that willingness to actually carry it, carry it out. You have to ask the Lord, Lord, give me the desire because I don't have it. See, I want to be merciful as God has been merciful with me. I want God's mercy to live and flow through me. I want to be like Jesus. I fall way short. But you know, he suffered the greatest injustice that our world has ever known. And somebody said it earlier, Luke 23, 34, and we're going to close with this. As he hung there suffering this injustice. Father, forgive them. But they do not know what they That same Jesus is living in your heart where you can't personally speak those words. He has, he does, and he will. We'll just ask him for willingness. We close our Pastor Sean, are we lined up? Good. I'm going to step out of the way. We're going to let a song play that I really love. I'm going to let it speak into your hearts and then Pastor Steve for the service. Go ahead, Pastor Sean. Thanks.
How many of you in this uh, room have experienced the life transformation, life transforming power of truly understanding you've been forgiven by Jesus Christ? That there was nothing you could do that could pay that debt. I mean, absolutely nothing. Like, you could try, but you could never completely pay it off. And, and God and infinite, inexhaustible tank account of mercy, just in compassion said, you don't owe me anything. It's powerful. It's life-changing. Something inside of you feels awakened and feels alive. And the power of the, the parable today is that Jesus says, hey, that same thing that God has done for you And there are people in our lives who are unable to pay us back for the hurt they've caused. Nothing they can do. There's nothing they can say that's going to fix it and make it okay. And Jesus says, forgive them. Release them from the dead. I think Jim did a good job of explaining to us that not necessarily releasing them from consequences or or meaning we have to reconcile and be close buddy-buddy again or any of those kinds of things, but the debt that they owe, you can forgive them so that you don't want to see them pay for what they did or said or didn't do. that there's an extreme power that's released in our lives as well as their lives when we do that. It's extremely difficult. And I want us to pray today. Um, Because every one of us has somebody like that in our life. It could just be small debts. They just irritate the crud out. Right? It's not really a big deal. And sometimes some of them are big deals. Like, hey, this person did this, said this years ago, and has stuck with me. Every time I think about it, it angers me. They never made it right. They never, whatever. If we pray today, Lord, help me. Help me to do the very thing that you did for me that brought me such life and brought me such freedom and healing in my life. Help me do that for this person that so hurt me and has such a de- that owes me such a debt. Help me extend that forgiveness. Lord, make me willing to be willing. Maybe that's the first step. But I love Jim's question when he said to me, he said, he said, friend, really you got saved? Then to be that person that holds on to this and becomes bitter yourself at the end of your life? You're carrying Christ, but you're carrying bitterness too. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the person that has a ledger of all the debts people owe me things they said, the things they didn't say, the things they did to me, the things that they, you know, they ghosted me, or write that person off, however that is, Lord, help us. I'm just going to pray this morning, I'm going to ask you, just from your heart, God, I, I want to be like you, I want to offer mercy. I want to offer forgiveness. Help me with that. Help me forgive. Help me to not hold this debt against them, but release them from it. Whether I ever see this person again, maybe this person's person's already dead, and you're still holding a debt against them. They can never pay you back. They're gone. But you're still holding 
begin to free us because church the power of this when, 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 a, when a body of believers gets a hold of the idea that I'm going to release and forgive people of what they owe me even if it's a real debt a half a year's salary is a real debt in this parable be hard for me to tell somebody, yeah, you owe me over half my salary. Is you know, okay, I forgive you. Like, yeah, that's a tough one. You do a lot with that money. It's just from our heart. Ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we saw in your word today a powerful parable of this, this king who forgave this really, this debt that was enormous, really ridiculous amount. And Lord, we know that that comparison is, is you and us, that we owe a debt we could never pay you. We spent the rest of our life, every minute of every day, trying to work it off. We would never get to the end of that debt. And Lord, we know by your word, we know by the spirit that's in us that you have forgiven us of this debt, this, this, this debt we owe you for, for so many sins in our lives. Lord, we also know the, the, the freedom, the, the healing, the oh, just the ability to breathe easily knowing that our debts with you are canceled, that your mercy is inexhaustible, that Lord, you've extended this as a free gift to us and we've received it. And its impact on our life has changed us and put us on a course to where we live differently. And we celebrate you for that. And we thank you so much for that, Lord. But Lord, your parable didn't stop there. It went on to explain that this same action that you gave towards us, you expect us to give towards our fellow brothers and sisters. And Lord, we recognize today that that is difficult for us. That the debt feels so real, the pain feels so much, the words spoken, not spoken, things done. All of these things, Lord, just resonate within us and turn in us. And we find it difficult to walk in your example. But Lord, it's our desire to honor you. It's our desire to, to act in the way that you act towards us. And so, Lord, today as a church, we ask you for help. We have folks in our mind, we have folks in our heart who have uh, created a debt. And the reality is they are probably never going to be able to pay it back. So, Lord, today we, we start the process of releasing them from that debt they owe. Now, Lord, we can say in our heart, in the depths of our heart, they don't owe us that anymore. I've released it. Lord, if we're finding great difficulty, may we start with just a willingness. Would your Holy Spirit come into our heart, into our minds right now, into our spirits, and begin to work in us in a willingness release them from that debt. The warning in that parable, Lord, is scary. That if after being forgiven our debts, we're unwilling from our heart to forgive the debts of others, we're going to use that. Lord, create a willingness for them.
work that you're doing in us this morning, the challenge that you've given us, Lord, would continue as we walk out in the doors today, that it would stick with us, that the work of forgiveness would be a continual thing in our life, not a one-time event on a Sunday morning. Because, Lord, people continue to create debt in our lives. person who cuts us in line to, to has opposite politics in us to the person who does real great damage. We'll never escape these things till we live with you in eternity. So lead us, Lord. Teach us how to release people from their debts. Lord, thank you for this powerful word today. I thank you that your Holy Spirit um, continues to draw us to be more like you and continues to, Lord, to sanctify us, to transform us into being more like you, that we may reflect you in a world around us who really is in turmoil, doesn't know up from down, doesn't know left from right, doesn't know light from dark. Lord, as you transform us, use us, point the way. We love you and we bless you in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Sure, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, there's fellowship in the back. Hang out. Greet one another.